Welcome to Surfcast. Thank you for joining me. My guest today is Dr. Heather Lewis Quagliana. You'll meet her in just a minute. Heather is a professor at Lee University in the area of childhood disorders, intervention strategies, childhood development, personality theory. The list goes on and on. Her expertise are actually in the area of child trauma. And she and her husband have traveled extensively around the globe and have made impact in people's lives during natural disasters, pandemics, epidemics, whatever it is you call it. These guys know how to make a difference in the world. She actually was a guest recently, earlier in the spring, on usatoday.com. And Heather is the wife to Dave. She is the mother to Luke and Izzy, or Lucas and Izzy. But most of all, she's a friend to the students. She was recently voted as the... Um, highest award that you can receive as a advisor here at Lee University in the Excellence in Advising Award. So students love to be around Heather Quagliana in just a minute. You're going to figure out why. We'll be right back. We're back. Heather, welcome to Lee University. At, well, you actually would not be welcome to Lee University because you're always here, but welcome to Surfcast. I'm glad you're in the studio today. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me, William. And we're actually doing this in a live setting, which is kind of cool. I'm excited about that because there's so much social distancing going on, and my most recent mm-hmm. interviews were over Zoom, so it's good to actually have somebody in the room. So, yes, yes, it is. It's my first interview in person in a long time. So, well, yes. Good. Well, I'm glad you chose us, or at least accepted our invitation, so oh, we're, we're thankful for all right, Heather. So the introduction, you know, gave all kind of things about who you are and what you do and, and where you've done this over the years. But you're a, a clinical psychologist as well. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, I am. And you are really keen and you and your husband, Dave, you know, all this kind of stuff about mental health. Mm-hmm. So can you give us today as a working definition, the idea of what we're talking about when we say mental health? Because we're going to unpack that a little bit, especially in the midst of a pandemic, you know, down on the um, Louisiana and uh Texas border, you know, they were just, mm-hmm. our coast, they were just slammed with, you know, hurricane, you've dealt with all kinds of stuff around the world. But what, what, how can you define mental health for our listeners today? So they kind of get a concept of what we're going to be talking mm-hmm. about. I think the simplest way to define mental health is emotional well-being. How are you doing emotionally? And so when there's disasters, like you mentioned, when there's COVID, the psychological footprint far outlasts some of the other um, repercussions. And so when we talk about mental health, it's really emotional well-being. How are you coping with stressors? Because we're going to have stressors. Uh, Mental health can also include, it's really a spectrum. So I think it's emotion regulation, those things. But it can also include anxiety, depression, some of those struggles that we hear about. So there Mm -hmm. are diagnosable issues but then there's also just emotional well-being and just living in an anxious world, if you will. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we're all living in an anxious world for sure. Absolutely. And I think that, unfortunately, depending on, you know, a person's lifestyle, a person's um, relationships, you know, a lot of different variables that come into play about how a person can look at the world, right? Mm-hmm. Do you agree with that? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think there are so many perspectives on what's going on, but I, I think we can all agree, yes, Um there's a lot of anxiety in the world um, right. from, you know, pandemics to racial injustice sure. to just the stress of living um, mm-hmm. and uh, trying to figure it all out. Yeah. Absolutely. And the cool thing is, and I've said this recently, and I, I believe it, I've, I'm not <laughs> sure I should believe what I say, I guess, but uh, I, I said this recently, and it's becoming more and more kind of embedded into my thinking, this idea that we were created for community. We were not created to live in isolation, you yeah, know, absolutely. but right now... Yeah. 
isolation seems to be the norm in a lot of ways, yeah. right? Yeah. What are some yeah. of the dangers that we that we can face when we when we look at isolation? Um, isolation is a risk factor for so many things. Um, isolation is a risk factor for burnout, just feeling like this is just hard to do my job or, you know, hard to do different things. Um, isolation is also a huge risk factor for depression. Um, so feeling isolated, lonely can really perpetuate that. And I think that um, community is so important and that in person, there is no substitute for in-person interactions, um, checking in. I mean, we can't even do handshakes anymore, right? Even right. that physical touch. And so um, I, I think that isolation puts us at a risk for really feeling emotionally dysregulated, but it can also be bigger issues such sure. as depression, et cetera. And something that I've tried to remind people, children and adults alike, is that social distancing doesn't mean social isolation, right? Good. We've had to get more creative at ways to connect. And I know everybody's Zoomed out. People are sick of, you know, FaceTime and all of these things, mm. but that's better than no connection at all. Mm. Creating community um, can be done in non-traditional ways. Mm. I, I think the biggest risk is if you say it's in person or nothing, right? And so it's important to still create virtual communities to figure out how to distance and do things that are safe to still maintain that sense mm. of community. And, and do you do you think that that's the responsibility of all of us, Heather, or is that you know, left up to the people like you and Dave and all the other folks out there, the experts in that world. I, I mean, I think we all have a role. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that for mental uh, health to to be a topic that's not taboo, for emotional well-being to, to be a topic that we can discuss in everyday life, I think it's a shared responsibility. Mm -hmm. Now, does it start with someone like Dave and I? Yeah, absolutely, because we've got to raise awareness that it's not just psychologists and therapists who hold the keys for success emotionally, okay? Sure. But, but it's all of our responsibility. So not everybody who's struggling needs therapy. Some do. But a lot of what can help remedy the isolation and loneliness is to come together and be creative mm -hmm. in, in what we're thinking and what mm -hmm. we're doing, even with community, to tap into some of those non-traditional ways of connecting that's important. And something um, such as creativity and getting in touch with that, even in the context of community, is important right now. So I grew up in the um, as a child in the, the 60s and 70s, so I'm dating myself now. I'm older um, <laughs> than a lot of people. I'm past half 100. I call it that. I'm past 50 by six <laughs> years. So I keep telling my wife, you know, I'm, I'm past half 100. You know, I'm on the downhill slope. But then I say something to her like, I want to live to be 100, you know. Yeah. And uh, so it'd, it'd be great. I think I would love, love to be 100 years old. But anyway, so I grew up in the early 60s and 70s. And... Um, that was before they were actually diagnosing people, I guess, right. with something like ADHD. Yeah. You know, yeah. Little known fact about me, and I don't even think you know this, so we're going to unpack it for a minute. Years ago, I was a student um, in a master's program in special education. And I was just, I actually didn't finish that program. I, I quit just before my student teaching. You know, I was going to mm -hmm. be a teacher in special mm -hmm. ed. Well, Carlana Gill, you'll remember her name. Yes. You know, she's a dear friend of mine. I and had her as a teacher when yeah, I was here. <laughs> yeah. Great lady, great lady. Um, she actually clinically diagnosed me, or actually went through the testing mm -hmm. um, when I was a student for ADHD. So I am every, of course, Dave knows me well enough to know that's true. I'm every um, kind of ADHD actually is, 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 I don't know how you say it. Maybe I'm diagnosed with it. I don't know, but it's just mm -hmm. who I am. It's what I am. I've learned to live with it. I tell people I contracted it when I was a kid, you know, mm -hmm. and I kept it and I've learned to live with it, you know, and fortunately I don't have to have, you know, any of the other external resources for that. But but the point I'm getting at, the point I'm driving to is um, 
what's a good balance for us between because if we're not careful, everything can get put into the pool of mental health mm-hmm. as problematic, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and everything needs a diagnosis, you know, right. and every right. person's whim or way <laughs> or, you know, maybe they just don't want to do something. So that becomes then a, a diagnosable idea. I, I don't know. I think I'm drawn to a question mm-hmm. of how do we balance this idea between mm-hmm. emotional stability, as you define it, but also emotional health, you know, and also recognizing that there are sometimes people that need more than just the immediate, they need some long-term mm-hmm. care. Is that a fair mm-hmm. question to ask? Uh, abs- absolutely. Um, and as a clinical psychologist, this is one of our um, favorite things to talk about sure. is diagnosis and treatment and all of that. But but we have some criteria. When I think or I sit down with a client of mine and I'm thinking diagnostically, one of the first questions I ask is, how pervasive is the issue, okay. Right. Because you use the example of ADHD. That's a common um, diagnosis um, that we see emerging during childhood. But just because a child is inattentive or hyperactive doesn't mean they're going to get that diagnosis. We ask that question of pervasiveness. Is it consistent across environments? You know, and we know with disorders like ADHD that there's strong biological uh, causes as well. And so all that to say, I think we have to ask how pervasive is something and let's say someone does meet criteria for mm. a psychological issue or disorder, that still doesn't mean they don't have to learn to cope, right? Yeah. Yeah. So important to learn how to cope and adjust and live with something. Now, I also see the other end of the spectrum where you have people saying, well, I can't do anything because I'm anxious or mm. I can't come to class because I'm depressed or different things. And I, I think that we can't use it as a, a catch-all excuse. Good. It doesn't matter what's going on, whether it's clinical or, or non-clinical. That doesn't mean people don't have the responsibility for good coping skills. Okay. And, and with emotional health, it really has to do with how are you regulating difficult emotions, right? How do you sit with anger, frustration, disappointment? But also, how do you cope with that so mm-hmm. that your life isn't falling apart every week, right? Mm-hmm. Just because hard times hit. Life's tough. And so learning to cope and deal with that and build resilience, I think, is important no matter whether it's diagnosable or not. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think there tends to be two camps. You you over-rely on a diagnosis and say, I can't do anything because of it. Right. But then also pop psychology, a lot of students or uh, parents diagnose themselves or their kids, right, sure. and say, well, this is going on. Let's yeah. just, you know, blame it on that. That's not responsible either. Mm-hmm. So. And I'm glad to hear you say that because in my situation, you know, I, my my parents have been deceased for quite a while now, but my my mom, I remember talking to her, you know, and and she was talking about, you know, that early on, you know, they were saying there was something wrong with me, and I mean that's debatable now. I'm sure that people think there's still something wrong with me, but <laughs> but uh, you know, the point was she became a help to me when there really wasn't a balance mm-hmm. between mm-hmm. because back in those early days, to be diagnosed with that would have been much more. Uh, prone to isolation for me than right, there would be nowadays, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. a person can be mainstream with any number of these issues that they're Ab- facing. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what do we do, Heather, as individuals? How do we help people? We got some, some specific questions we're going to dig to in just a minute yeah. on the idea of the pandemic. But but as a general idea, what do I do out here, you know, um, when we're just recognizing that somebody is off a little bit, maybe their game is a little bit delayed, maybe they're struggling in an area, maybe their anxiety is out the roof. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. we're not trained cl- clinicians, right? Mm-hmm. But yet we're 
you know, called compassionate caregivers. Yeah. How do yeah. we help people yeah. move from this idea of what could be sidelining them to mm-hmm. get them to the place of either care or community? Does that make sense? Uh, absolutely. And I think the first thing is that um, listening well is important. Okay. People who are suffering, whether it is just a isolated event that they're suffering or it's chronic history of suffering with anxiety or some type of emotional issue, I think coming alongside them and saying you're not alone. Mm-hmm. To me, that's the foundation of our faith, um, but that's also the foundation of good caregiving. You don't need to be a therapist to say you're not alone. Mm-hmm. Now, I I think that because there's a spectrum of issues, uh, that can really drive how we recommend a friend or someone we are working with, how we recommend they they deal with things. And so if it's just someone needs a listening ear and needs a little support, you might say, hey, let's get together. Or, hey, you know, there's this going on, you know, with my church or this group. Come join me. Mm -hmm. Because so much, I think, of today's isolation is because... Sometimes we don't know how to do community well, and particularly now with all these restrictions. I think, though, when there's more severe issues and you feel overwhelmed or overburdened by a friendship and you say, I I feel drained from this because I can't be this person's only support system. That's when you may start to have the conversation about, I want to be a part of your support team. Mm -hmm. I still want to listen well to you. But let's think of some other resources. So that could be informal resources, right? Connecting them to, uh, I'm thinking of a college campus, you know, mm-hmm. I'm thinking connecting them to a resident assistants who could help them plug into something on campus. Sure. If it seems to be pervasive, again, like chronic struggling with some mental health things, it might be getting some formal counseling. Mm-hmm. But I think often we overlook some of the informal resources that can bring healing. Mm-hmm. So if it might just be connecting with a family member, it might be reaching out to a friend, it might be, you know, talking with a professor, but then there is a time and place for those formal resources as well, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's um, uh, going to counseling, um, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So, so I think there's time and place for, for both but but what I think needs to shift and which I think will strengthen communities is it, it takes a village with so many things. It takes a village with mental health. Mm-hmm. I'm not asking everybody to be a counselor or a therapist, but at least take an interest in saying, huh, part of who you are is emotional. And in community, we need emotional support, right? Mm-hmm. And so we don't need to just delegate emotional health or well-being to psychologists and therapists. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I know this is another discussion for another day, but... Emotional intelligence, and I would encourage all of our listeners to dig into that yeah, theory and, yeah. and recognize it because emotional intelligence is a key factor to um, everyday living. How do we survive well in community? Mm-hmm. You know, and absolutely. what is my perception of you? And and a lot of times, you know, I, I say this all the time that you know we are, have a tendency to judge ourselves. Um, by our intentions while judging others by their failures. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if we're not careful, we miss Mm -hmm. the the necessity to come together. Absolutely. And I think that um, community is so powerful for learning how to deal with complex situations, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you can learn emotional intelligence best within a community. It doesn't happen in isolation. And I think it starts early, too. The earlier that we can ingrain this in children, this idea that emotions are important, but coping with them Mm -hmm. is important as well. It builds resilience. And then, I mean, resilience is best built in community, too. And so there's a lot of um, ways to acknowledge emotions and then learn to cope so that you can be more resilient. Mm In 2011, you know this well, there was a tornado that hit, five yes. tornadoes that hit Cleveland Absolutely. on that particular day. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, my family and I were heavily impacted yeah. by that. And 
And mm-hmm. then Dave came alongside, you know, and you, mm-hmm. Dave, and, and you guys begin to help people all over our county. You know, but this is not foreign to you because you've been doing this in other locations around the globe over the years. You know, mm-hmm. you guys spend mm-hmm. a number of your weeks in the summer teaching abroad, you know, yeah. and studying mm-hmm. and helping and, and all of that. So let me ask you, because you have a, a, a much more global view of this than just, you know, uh, a little East uh, Bradley County where we're from, you know, um, in, in, in a little Southeast part of the, of the U.S., but you have a more global view. What are some um, ways that mental health is impacted by natural disasters like a tornado or recently like a hurricane? Um, you know, you guys were involved in helping with Hurricane Katrina, you know, and all of this kind of stuff. What What are some... Uh, and now we have a pandemic, you know, mm-hmm. that has kind of put us on halt in many ways. Mm-hmm. How is mental health impacted by that? And then furthermore, what are some ways that we need to be aware of how it's impacted so we know better how to either build, and it's a long question, building our coping mechanism or mm-hmm. either helping others to build theirs? Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, the way that we're impacted by, I'll just say disasters, right? Yeah. Um, because COVID is really a humanitarian disaster. Sure. We have all these natural disasters. What we see with any type of disaster or trauma is that you have a variety of responses. So cognitive Difficulty concentrating is a huge one. Mm -hmm. Difficulty sustaining attention to tasks. Difficulty focusing. Um, Some of those cognitive responses, those are very normal um, to to a disaster. Um, Physical responses. You may not be eating as well. You may not be sleeping as well. You may have a startle response. I remember in Ecuador um, working with uh, the families and children that had been impacted by the earthquake they couldn't sleep at night without jerking awake, fear that an aftershock, right? It's just a very normal fear response. The psychological responses are also crying, numbing. That one surprises a lot of people that they feel nothing, right? You can feel overwhelmed. You can feel agitated. You can feel depressed. Anxiety is a common symptom. And so I often say that when you have an abnormal experience like a disaster, Mm-hmm. everything's a normal response, right? And children differ a little from adults. Children don't talk as overtly about their feelings. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes children will act out. They might misbehave more. They might be real clingy to adults because they're afraid of losing someone. And so we we see all those responses uh, to disaster, but they're very normal responses to abnormal events. And mm-hmm. I think it's important to normalize that because a lot of people feel insane after a disaster, sure. all the feelings that they're having and uh, different things that they're going through. Um, and with COVID, part of the work I've been doing in our community is to educate teachers and principals mm-hmm. and administrators of, I, I mean, kids are going to just have a variety of responses. And a lot of it is going to just be, am I safe right now? Right. Because disaster threatens that sense of safety. Is my life going to be the same? My son even said, you know, COVID has been going on for 10 years. Will I ever get to do anything? Like my life has stopped because of this. And so those are all very normal responses. But you asked about what do we do to cope better in community? Mm -hmm. And I think the simple answer is relationships. Relationships are our best factor in resilience. Um, When I think through just some of the suggestions for COVID, for disasters in general, I think it's important to nurture the relationships that you do have. Mm-hmm. The Search Institute, um, you may be familiar mm-hmm. with them, but they have some great just information on developmental relationships. And these developmental relationships uh, talk about the idea of just investing in one another, mm-hmm. even during difficult times. 
and figuring out how to do that well. I think also if we look at resilience and we also talk about how do you grow through it? Community can help you see this is difficult, but having a growth mindset is important mm-hmm. to, to build that. And then I also think just focusing on feelings, acknowledging them, labeling, thinking through coping strategies, but then also creativity has been shown to really help bolster resilience. Mm-hmm. And so I think for children, they play, right? And children are very resilient because they're able to play through stuff. I think as adults, we forget to be creative and have some of those outlets. We get so mired in the issue that we forget to do some external Mm -hmm. things. Define resilience for us, just so we know what you're talking about. You know, resilience is really just bouncing back from adversity. Um, So when something disaster happens, when something terrible happens, when you even have a situation. I work with a lot of kids who've experienced abuse in some form or fashion. It's that ability to to bounce back. Mm -hmm. And with resilience... We, we want to take it a step forward, and we hope that you can't only just be resilient, but you can thrive. Mm-hmm. And that thriving piece means I can grow through adversity, right? That, that growth mindset of not rose-colored glasses, not, right. okay, great, you know, I went through this and it's teaching me a lesson, but the ability to see, you know what, this has transformed me in some ways, and there's some ways in which I've grown, mm-hmm. so. What do we do with what do we what do we do, not what we do but how do we help people? Right now, there just seems to be an overwhelming amount of fear. Absolutely, and I know that yeah. fear is a real issue for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, I, I don't I don't struggle with that particular mm-hmm. area of my life, and I'm that's my struggle. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a very anxious person. Okay, and, and I'm thankful <laughs> that I don't. You know, I mean, people that know me might think that I'm mm. I'm active. I'm not necessarily anxious. There's two different things. I think you know. Absolutely. But 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 what are some real? Let's talk about some real coping ways right now mm-hmm. to help people. Um, I was in Honduras when the pandemic became news in America, yes, in the U.S. Yes, yes. I had students, as you know, you've taken students abroad for, before, and I had students mm-hmm. with me, and I, I caught the, we caught the last flight out to come home, and we remained in the country three days after the announcement of, of um, you know, COVID being exposed in the U.S., and so we had to maintain three more days in the country, then we came home. If I ever had anxiety, that may have been it because I, <laughs> I wanted to get these students home. You yeah, know? absolutely. Now, to find out, we may have been in an okay place where we were for a while, but I wanted to get them home. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What, what, what are some immediate responses that we can have to help people overcome fear and anxiety that's happening in real life right mm-hmm. now? I, I think the first is to normalize it. I mentioned okay. that earlier, but I, I think to say, you know what, look how much is going on in the world. Of yeah. course, I'm going to be overwhelmed. I've even said that to Dave. I told him uh, the other night, I said, I am not sleeping well. And he looked at me, he said, nobody is. <laughs> and I said, you know what? That was just oddly comforting because, yeah, I'm not alone in this. Yeah. It reduces isolation when you know it's a shared experience. Sure. I think also practical coping needs to involve the senses. Okay. Explain that. When you are overwhelmed, um, it's usually a sensory experience, right? Okay. Um, I think that trauma, crisis, all of those things often have elements that involve, you know, your sense of sound, taste, smell, all of those things. And so I think coping creatively can involve things like going and drawing an image of how you feel. That's a very sensory experience. Because sometimes when we're in crisis, we don't have words to describe it, right? And that's part of the anxieties. I can't get it out appropriately. Um, I think that's important to think creatively, engage the senses. I also think that getting rid of the oughts and shoulds. There is so much shame. There is so much shame when it comes to crisis. I mean, I even find myself like shoulding myself. I should have done this better. I should have 
whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I think we have to let go of some of that perfection and say the oughts and shoulds, those those are not helpful when mm. you're navigating stressful times. Of course, we all have things we could have or should have done better, but especially when you're living in stressful times, you're going to take a hit to some of the way you're just thinking and managing and making decisions, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. I think we also have to focus on what we can control. And so there's safety measures, right? Washing our hands, wearing masks, different things. That's the control we do have. And so focusing on some safety measures, that seems to be particularly effective with kids when they feel like, you know what, I can do something. I can have a sense of social responsibility. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that coping does look a little different for each person. But what we have found um, in the psychological literature is there seems to be, with people who function pretty well, there seems to be a balance of interpersonal coping. That's the community, right? right. That is leaning on some other people. And then there's also the intrapersonal. So that's okay. more hobbies, some of those creative activities. But people who can combine both do pretty well. And then another coping strategy that's particularly helpful is to not compare yourself to other people. Good. Even though we are all in this together, it can be hard to not scroll through social media and say, well, how's that? How come that person's life is still perfect, right? Back when the pandemic started, I was working full time from home, homeschooling my kids because school was closed. And I remember scrolling through Facebook and some of my friends, it was like, you know, nine o'clock in the morning. And they're like, we've completed math. And now we're off to baking class. And like, and I thought, well, we just put pants on. And that's like, (laughs) that was our victory for the day, you know. And so comparisons aren't helpful. Yeah, We need to celebrate each other's successes, lean on each other for support. And so that's important. And then humor. Even in the midst of crisis, if you can still find things to laugh about yeah. or still find some humor or silver lining at times, that, that also seems to be helpful. Um, so, This question just kind of came to mind when you were talking about yeah. inter and intra. Yeah. You know, it made me think about this whole idea of um, intransit and extransit motivators. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. How, how do those or do they even have a relationship in this idea of mental health and how can we utilize intrinsic and extrinsic motivators to encourage people because the challenge i think is for those of us who are not skilled either academically or clinically to be able to deal with or to not that's a terribly bad term to use but to for lack of a better term you know to help people process through it all mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm, can can mm-hmm. can motivators and what are some motivators to help people because sometimes if we just get them through the next hour mm-hmm, ab- absolutely right so yeah, for yeah, some yeah, of us we yeah. just want to get through right now i want to get through to the end of the semester with students on this campus right, no right, doubt right right but for some people right now they want to get through this next class right absolutely <clears throat> Do motivators matter, and how can we help develop that? Well, motivators are interesting, and and I, um, as I think about what motivates us, it's it's interesting, um, and I, I don't think I've read any research lately on intrinsic extrinsic motivation, particularly during crisis times. Right? I think crisis times throw motivation a little bit on its head because. Okay. Um, what may be normally motivating might have taken a back seat Um, because I think what's motivating for everyone as a core basic need is safety. And our sense of safety is threatened right now. But what I think, for example, um, (laughs) just even the motivation to wear masks on campus, right? That's, that's a cultural shift here to, to, to wear masks, protect each other. It's the right thing. But 
I think even a motivation on a daily basis to do that can come from, I want the school to stay open longer, right? So the safer we are, the more it'll stay open longer. So sometimes that's more of an extrinsic way to think about it. I I think that um, we all have leanings towards being, you know, extrinsically motivated, kind of dangling something in front of us versus that motivation within ourselves. Um, But I'm trying to think of just getting through a class, getting through the next hour. It might just be a small reward you give yourself and you say, okay, if I can get through this next hour, I feel anxious. I feel afraid. I don't even feel like I'm here because things are so different. You might just do a simple reward and say, you know what? If I get through this next class, I feel exhausted. I'm going to go take a little rest. If mm-hmm. I get through this next class, yeah. then I am going to go have some socially distanced coffee with a friend, you know? And so those little rewards to keep you going, like I'll just give a personal example. Something that's been hard for me lately is I, I tend to be the type of person I love work. I love coming to work. It doesn't feel like work to me. But with all the restrictions in place, I'm such an extrovert. I have missed social interaction so much. But with all the restrictions in place, I kind of just get out and I'm like, what do I do? I've been rewarding myself by going by Bond Life and getting my favorite cup of coffee and like, look, you did it. Sit in your office and enjoy this. Talk from a socially distanced, you know, uh, ground. And so, I mean, even little rewards like that can help. I think, too, what I have seen, though, in my classes is I've seen more intrinsic motivation because we don't value what's always available to us, right? Mm -hmm. Students are so glad to have the opportunity to be in person again that I've seen more motivation for just, I'm just glad to learn in person. I agree with you. I think I've seen the exact same thing. Yeah, that's cool because I think we're too extrinsically motivated in this culture. And so just to have the satisfaction of sitting and listening and learning, and that's Mm -hmm. a privilege, I think that's a nice thing that could come from this, Mm -hmm. right, to learn about ourselves. Good. You remember the name Cliff Schimmels. Um, oh, yes. You know, yes. Cliff and I were buddies. And, yes. and uh, mm-hmm. we traveled together for years and then we wrote a book together. But I, re- I remember, yeah. I'll never forget, tra- you know, Cliff was given a, a speech one time and he talked to parents. You know, and this mm-hmm. has been 20 years ago. And he talked to parents, you know, and he said, if a kid makes it through the day of school, Mm-hmm. By three o'clock in the afternoon, mm-hmm. the first thing they need to do is come home, eat everything in the refrigerator and take a nap, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And yeah. I think that yeah. that yeah. for us, you know, it, it wouldn't hurt us to put a little bit of a pause on the chaos. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because the chaos itself isn't going to pause for us. No, it's not. Mm-hmm. But if we can put a little pause in, mm-hmm. you know, I think another mm-hmm. risk is, mm-hmm. if we're not careful, is that I'm, I'm not a normally um, lethargic person. It just mm-hmm. isn't there, mm-hmm. right? I'm incredibly active until I stop. And then when I stop, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just dead. I'm sleeping, right? But, but, but recently I found myself, because I am also an extrovert, I found myself just overwhelmed with all of the chaos that's going on yeah. and the challenges and the difficulties, you know? And I, mm-hmm. and I, got, my, I got into a groove of just crashing a little, little earlier than I normally should mm-hmm. or normally do, you mm-hmm. know? And... Mm-hmm. And I talked to my wife about it, and eventually I just, the other day, I just literally woke up and went outside and, you know, put out mulch and mowed the grass and did all (laughs) kinds of crazy stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. because I needed something different than what the environment we Mm -hmm. were facing, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So let me ask you this, Heather, you're a person of faith. How does faith influence you in the relationship to mental health? And how does... um, and what scriptures might help you, you know, as mm-hmm. you begin to reach out to people that might be useful for us as mm-hmm. people of faith, you know. Mm-hmm. And I understand mm-hmm. that people listen to this podcast, you know, there are some people that are people of faith and there are some people that probably aren't. And that's okay, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but unashamedly, we are. Mm-hmm. You and I are mm-hmm. people of faith, right? Yeah. How does that impact your world of mental health and care? Well, I, I think it 
dates back to a long time ago when even when I was a child and teenager, um, getting help for my own anxiety. Um, I remember my mom saying psychology and therapy is a beautiful gift from God. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that the relationship between the church and psychology has always been favorable, right? If sometimes it's been, well, you just go to your pastor, don't go to psychology. I think they can work beautifully together. And and I firmly believe that any truth we discover, whether it's medicine, psychology, science, it's God's truth and it can draw us closer to him. And so um, that's what I've always believed is that my role as a psychologist it is actually very much a ministry, but it also feels pastoral to me too because mm. I'm I'm caring. It feels like I'm caring for people's souls. Sure. Um, maybe not um, the same way as a pastor would, but I'm caring for those intricacies. And so I, I think it's it's really a gift from God. Mm. Um, but I do know that we have to be willing to wrestle with people in tough places when their faith feels challenged by a crisis, right? That's a normal response. What we see is, and I'm thinking through the the literature that integrates psychology and theology, um, we see that in a crisis, people tend to either draw closer to God and say, oh, this is a sense of protection and hope for me. Or people say, oh, why would a loving God allow this stuff to happen? Mm -hmm. And so I think we need to be prepared to not judge people but to join them in that journey and say, I'm, I'm here to listen. These are normal responses to having a crisis, to also mm-hmm. question faith or cling to it or what have you. I think in terms of a scripture that has helped me so much, I don't have a particular verse, but the Lament Psalms. Mm-hmm. I love the Lament Psalms because I think it gives us a glimpse of what it's like to be a human being with real emotions. Yeah. When you look at David, I mean... He laments to God and says, where are you in the yeah. midst of this? Like, I just want to die. And then other times he's able to celebrate God and to say, thank you for, you know, your provision. And so those lament psalms back, I think in graduate school, when I was also studying theology, it just gave me permission to let it all hang out and say, God, where are you when I'm overwhelmed? Yeah. And that's okay. That's part of wrestling through all of that. And so mm-hmm. I think that's what's particularly helped me. And that's really I think helped a lot of my clients who've wrestled through um, these these faith crises, mm-hmm. and and I also think that um, I don't know, mental health is not struggling with mental health is not a lack of faith. No, and I want people to know that mm-hmm. that it's not a lack of faith. It's a piece of who we are. And you can have a beautiful walk with God and still struggle with anxiety or depression. Right. And I think God has given us ways um, through psychology um, to, to help with some of that piece of the human condition. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and unfortunately, I mean, we, we can contribute to our own woes, you know, mm-hmm. with behaviors. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. You, wrote, you wrote an article recently, I think, on the whole idea of the relationship between um, scriptural influence and behavior, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think that that for our listeners, you know, Google um, Dr. Qualagliana and find out, you know, some of the work <laughs> she's done because it has been really incredible in, in that particular area, in that particular way. Um, closing thoughts, you know, Heather, closing thoughts to mm-hmm. our listeners today who may either be unsure about this whole mental health thing. You know, Dave and I, you know this well enough to know that your husband Dave and I don't always agree on everything. I'm sure that you and he don't always agree no. on everything either, you know, but um, but he, we've had some pretty candid conversations, you know, and and 
But 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 closing thoughts for people who are struggling today with their own mental health, people who are worried or concerned or compelled to care for someone else who might be struggling with their own mental health, and then people who just need to know that if you struggle, there is help. If you mm-hmm. don't struggle, it doesn't make you better than anybody else. It gives you a responsibility to care for yeah, people absolutely. who are struggling. Closing absolutely. thoughts today before we close out our episode. You know, um, I have to attribute these thoughts to Dave, yeah. <laughs> my husband, but we are, he and I are um, hosting a chapel next week. And okay. so we've, we got to plan that. But we were talking about it this morning and he said, you know, Heather, I think the message, because it's a chapel on mental health. He said the message, uh, September 10th, I believe. Um, But he said the message is simple, Heather. He said there's two types of people in the world. And I said, okay, what what are you getting at? You're one and I'm the other. (laughs) I was like, like, right. (laughs) Cool and not going on. I'm just kidding. But um, he said said, people who are wounded and broken and who recognize that and say, okay, what am I going to do? And then he said, people who are wounded and broken, but don't recognize that you can do something, right? Yeah. We don't all have the same kind of brokenness, but we we all are broken. We live in a broken world. And so I think that struggling emotionally or struggling with mental health, that's part of living in a broken world. Mm-hmm. And so my advice would be, you're not weak because you struggle. You're not superior if you don't struggle with um, emotional things. But I think the key for us in most of what we see as difficulties in today's society, I think it's really found in community. Mm -hmm. And I think that can be informal community where you just have a group that really supports you. It could be a community of professionals where you say, I'm going to get some therapy because this is God's gift to me to help me work through this. But most often it's a combination, isn't it, of community resources and ways that we can support each other, but also get that extra help when we need to. And I think there's still a lot of stigma attached to, well, I go to a therapist, right? Um, But I have my own therapist as a psychologist, Mm -hmm. and I love that resource. I love to have a perspective where it's my time to reflect and have that intentionality. Mm -hmm. And so I encourage people to not view it as a stigma or view it as a sign of weakness, but it's just yet another resource that we have. And any truth that we discover in psychology, it belongs to God and I'm grateful for it. Um, So, Heather, I'm I'm delighted to have you today. I I see you as a mom. I know your kids, your husband. (laughs) I I can attest to the fact that, you know, um, Healthy, you guys are a healthy family. You're a caregiving family. You're a loving family, you know, and that's pretty exciting to see and to watch these kids. And every time I see Izzy, you know, she has that faint memory of the first time that she ever met me. And so it's like, uh, I think I know him. Do I know him? So uh, anyway, I'm glad that you joined us today. Okay. Thank you. You And one one last thing, Lucas, um, I guess this is the product of two psychologist parents. But the other day he came to me and he said, (laughs) he said, mom, I need to do therapy for my anger issues. (laughs) (laughs) You should like. Record that, and when he gets to be like I thirteen, should, remind him, "Hey, you need to go do some uh, therapy for your anger issues at That's thirteen. Right. So, uh, but it starts early, and if as kids we can coach them through some of this, yeah. you know, it'll build that resilience. That's too funny. So, I know That's it's funny. So, <laughs> thank you for having me. You got it. Hey guys, remember as always on Surfcast, I remind you, we are made for more. We are made to make impact in the world of chaos, and it really depends on our willingness. And according to this conversation today with Dr. Quagliana, a lot of it is depending upon whether or not we're going to step forward. We're going 
going to recognize our own need and also recognize the possibility that we can make an impact in somebody else's life. So we're going to do this. We don't always do this, but today I want to take a moment and we're going to play a Liu worship song. And I want you to uh, think about where you are in your own life. Who do you need to reach out to um, that can help you? And better than that, perhaps in your world, who can you reach out to help them? So the reality is we are not created for isolation. We were in fact created for community. You are salt and light in this world of chaos. Until next time, have a great day. We find ourselves waiting again To feel the waves stirred by heaven Spirit of God Move as your heart desires All of our walls come crashing down As we lean in to hear you now Spirit of God, speak as your heart Come on, let's make this our prayer tonight. Lord, let the fullness of your presence come like fire. Step.
Come on, sing it out. Show us mercy as you do something new. We're expectant. We're expectant. With our hands lifted high. With our hands lifted high. And our hearts open wide. We're expectant. tuning in to Servcast with Dr. William Lamb. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Servcast to stay updated on special guests and future episodes.